This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Five minutes after the hour, it's Wednesday, December 8th. Good morning and welcome back to Morning Air on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the patronal feast day of the United States. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us coast to coast across America here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Every Wednesday, we always remind you that this is the day dedicated to praying to St. Joseph. And today is the last day in this year of St. Joseph, but we we continue to ask for St. Joseph's intercession. I want to bring in my partner, Glenn Leverance. Glenn, what are some of the stories making headlines this morning? Of course, John, keeping an eye on COVID-19, Omicron, the latest variant, uh, first discovered not too long ago in South Africa. But uh, in South Africa, researchers at a major hospital complex have reported their patients with that uh, version of coronavirus much less sick than those they've treated before. This Omicron variant spreading faster, but it appears to be uh, much less severe. Uh, they said most of the infected patients were admitted for other reasons and actually don't have COVID symptoms. So uh, just to be aware of that. And we said in the news a moment ago, too, Pfizer says that their uh, booster shot uh, can help prevent against that. But, uh, but the good news, as much as there's been alarm about this new fast-spreading variant, it appears the symptoms are uh, substantially less severe than other variants. That is really good news, and uh, we must uh, be not afraid. Uh, there was a lot of fear, uh, especially uh, last week and last weekend uh, when there was such uh, insecurity of what was going on. Uh, now that we know, uh, we can uh, move uh, move on. That's right. I'd say, uh, you know, be alert, but uh, don't be paralyzed by fear. Hey, also in the news, John, too, uh, a big uh, meeting virtually lasted over two hours, a uh, video conference conversation between uh, Russia's leader Vladimir Putin and President Biden yesterday uh, talking about uh, Russia seeming to be ready to uh, invade Ukraine at any moment. They've amassed nearly 100,000 troops on the border and all the attendant uh, uh, devices that uh, go with preparing for invasion. Uh, the U.S. threatening severe economic sanctions uh, against Russia should any particular moves be made. Ukraine not officially a part of NATO, but uh, very friendly with NATO countries. And uh, we have uh, provided uh, and sold armaments to, to Ukraine. And uh, this is something I think to, to keep a very close eye on, John. Not only keep an eye on, but also to uh, to pray, to pray for peace. And, and let's invoke uh, the patroness of the United States, our Blessed Mother, under the title of the Immaculate Conception, and, and pray uh, that the relations between the U.S. and Russia uh, actually improve. Uh, as always, thanks so much, Glenn. Amen to that, John. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. We start each hour in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord uh, through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. 
Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of life and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church on this last day of the year of St. Joseph, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit on this show when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life today is from Luke 128. Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. These are the words of the archangel Gabriel to Mary, our blessed mother, who calls her full of grace, gratia plena in the Latin. This says that she has the fullness of grace, the plenitude of grace. Let us invoke our blessed mother under the title of the Immaculate Conception to intercede for us on this day and every day. She always leads us to her son, our Lord Jesus. We pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. A number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, today, uh, we're honoring Mary, our Blessed Mother. It's the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, uh, a feast celebrating Mary's conception without sin. Even though this feast day occurs uh, here in the liturgical season of Advent, which is preparing us for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Immaculate Conception refers to the conception of Mary in the womb of her mother, St. Anne. What is the biblical basis for this Marian dogma of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary? We're going to talk about it. Joining us now is Catholic apologist William Albrecht to help us better understand the Immaculate Conception. William is also an international speaker and debater and has participated in over 65 live and moderated debates. William is the author of the Definitive Guide of Solving Biblical Questions About Mary, Mary Among the Evangelists, along with the, the Secret History of Transubstantiation, Pulling Back the Veil on the Eucharist. William runs a website called patristicpillars.com dedicated to the early church fathers that includes unique translations, articles, commentaries, and debates on the fathers. Good morning, William. Welcome to Morning Air for the first time. Good to be with you. Happy Feast of the Immaculate conception and happy wonderful feast to you i am thrilled to be here with you all uh, in what I hope is, uh, will be the first of many appearances with you all here. Really enjoy your show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, so kind. Uh, uh, first of all, can you explain for our listeners exactly what is the dogma of the Immaculate Conception? Yes, definitely. The way I like to break it, break it down is very simple. We have the dogma in an 1854 bull, which was a dogma, an apostolic constitution released by the Pope called Ineffabilis Deus. It's very simple. People don't need to get their heads uh, confused about it or get a headache about it. It teaches that from the very moment of her conception, Mary was created. Her creation was that of an immaculate one. Now, what do we mean by that? We mean that Mary never had the stain of sin by the grace of God. Nothing Mary could have done in her own because it was right before she even was created that as the fathers tell us in the divine mind, the Lord was prepared and did create her without any sin at all. So Holy Mary was created with full grace or as the early fathers like Augustine like to call it, Mary was in possession of what the church calls original justice. And we see that directly from the Bible and in the early fathers, Mary 
Holy Mary is such an important figure that it's such a beautiful day that we have today to celebrate the solemnity of her Feast of the Immaculate Conception. That is really one of the, the main key points that we need to uh, to consider when we think uh, about uh, this dogma that was officially declared uh, by Pope Pius IX back uh, on this day in 1854, on December 8th. Um, what are a, a couple of other uh, key points that we have to consider when we think about uh, this dogma, uh, William? That's a fantastic question. Uh, one of the key points the Church has always pointed towards is that in Genesis 3, right before Mary's even created, there is a prophecy there. And this is a major prophecy, because Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 15, occurs right after the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. And the Lord God says immediately, he's going to find a remedy. What is that remedy? It's a prophecy of a future seed, child that will come in the future. And there will be enmity. That means mortal warfare, a barrier between the devil, the child, and the woman. The Lord says, I will put enmity between you and your seed. Talking to the serpent, which, as we know very well, identified in the book of Revelation 12 and wisdom to him, is the devil. But the incredible thing, that is a messianic prophecy. But right there in that messianic prophecy that talks about our Lord crushing the head of the serpent in the future, there's also a prophecy about the woman, which would be the mother of the Messiah. And if we read that the mother of the Messiah, in the very same context as her seed, her son, Christ, would never be under the dominion of the devil, we know through Scripture that be having original sin and being a sinner is being under the dominion of the devil. And the fathers were overwhelmingly in direct succession and in line in teaching that the woman of Genesis 3 was Holy Mary, is Holy Mary. And what can we take from the fact that we're told immediately in Genesis 3 that this mother of the Messiah would never be under the dominion of the devil? Well, we know very clearly, as Mary is presented to us as new ark, and we're told that she is in full possession of that original justice, of that all-holy and blameless grace in Luke 1, we have that full picture of Holy Mary in the Bible. And that picture is of a very holy woman without sin. That verse that you've shared with us, uh, Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, is just a part of the, the biblical basis, uh, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, for our understanding of this uh, dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Uh, can you talk about also the Blessed Mother Mary being presented as the new ark uh, and the role that that plays in her being sinless? Absolutely. What a fantastic point. And you're correct. Genesis 3 is called the Proto-Evangelium, which means first gospel. What a beautiful, incredible prophecy. And in the very first prophecy of our Lord, just as everywhere else in the Bible, he's connected there with his Holy Mother, which is beautiful, just as uh, our Lord is connected with our Mother being presented as the new ark. Indeed, the language utilized in the Old Testament when we've got people jumping, shouting in, in liturgical singing before the ark in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, well, when Elizabeth approaches Holy Mary, Elizabeth is struck with awe that she exclaims at a particular word only utilized for, in the, for when people are in the presence of the Holy Ark, either for shouting in joy or for singing. 
is utilized for Mary. There's so many parallels, including the fact that Holy Mary is carrying the Word. And we know that the Word of God, written, was in the Old Ark. There's just so many parallels of Holy Mary and the Old Ark. We're literally, literally being told by St. Luke that Holy Mary is the new Ark of the New Covenant. But here's the amazing thing. What does that mean? Well, God's presence was there with the old ark. We know that very well. And if we're being presented Holy Mary as the new ark, the new ark was literally the presence of God with his people in the Old Testament. Well, she's the new ark of the new covenant. And the old ark was overlaid with pure acacia wood. Well, Holy Mary is being presented as all pure. That plays a key role in her sinless nature by the grace of God and I mean, if you ask me, I think it's such a beautiful teaching, and it's clearly brought out by sacred scripture. It is a beautiful teaching, and uh, it is part of what we call typology, uh, things that are foreshadowed in the Old Testament that, that, that are revealed later in the, in the New Testament. And I think, uh, my goodness, we could do a, a whole uh, show just on typology and, and just on some of these verses uh, on uh, the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant and how they're fulfilled in the, in the New Testament. Yes, no doubt. Without a doubt, there's so much... Uh, evidence. And, and the other thing that's incredible is the fact that the early church fathers, as people know very well from hearing your show, those very first followers of Christ, those that were taught and trained, many of them taught and trained by the apostles, that unbroken chain that shows apostolicity in the early church, they clearly viewed Holy Mary as the new ark of the new covenant. And that plays a role in so many other teachings, because Holy Mary, if she is that new ark, and she's being presented to us as a very significant figure. And as we encounter her in Luke chapter 1, when the archangel Gabriel greets her, we have that confirmation that Holy Mary is a very important figure. William, can you talk about that, that greeting, uh, that uh, special moment in time when the archangel uh, G- Gabriel appears to our Blessed Mother in Luke one twenty eight? Uh, open up that scripture for us, uh, hail full of grace. Yes, beautiful. What a beautiful scripture. And we indeed find so much commentary in the early church on it. And it, it reads in Luke one twenty eight, And having come in, the angel said to her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But this is not an ordinary greeting, as you know, because usual greetings usually have the, uh, either the angel or the individual greeting the person by name. But the Greek, what we have here, is a greeting in the vocative. She's literally calling her full of grace. But here's the amazing thing. Holy Mary has not even been overshadowed yet by the Holy Spirit. Yet when the archangel Gabriel encounters her, he tells her she's already full of grace. And Greek scholars and the earliest Greek uh, or church fathers and theologians all recognize this. This is confirmation that Holy Mary, even before our Lord and Savior was in her beautiful womb, she was already in full possession of this incredible grace that we speak of. And we know that this grace is sinless, holy, all blameless grace, because the Greek word utilized here for Mary being called full of grace is the Greek word, the root, keratao. The other area where you find that root word is in Ephesians 1, and it describes that kind of grace for us. It's all holy. It's all blameless. And that's the kind of grace that Mary is in full possession of. 
We're joined this morning by William Albrecht, a Catholic apologist, international speaker, debater, and author on many different topics of our faith, uh, including the early church fathers and especially Marian teachings, talking about the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception and the dogma. Uh, William, how important is it to have a proper translation, a, a Catholic translation of Luke 128 to understand the words of the Archangel Gabriel full of grace instead of other translations like Hail, Highly Favored Daughter, to better understand the Immaculate Conception? That is a fantastic question. In fact, before me, eyes got open and do we read which I love. It's a great Catholic Bible. But I also looked at other Bibles, like the New King James Version, and it's very unfortunate that it says, Rejoice, Highly Favored One. It is vitally important that we have a good translation, because in the Greek, as you know, the Greek word teratao, charis, that is Greek for grace. And do we think, do we think Mary was highly favored? Well, of course, theologically, there's no doubt. But we've got to have a faithful translation. And a faithful one would say, Holy Mary is full of grace. Indeed, we can definitely affirm she's highly favored, the most highly favored creature ever of creation. But full of grace is definitely what is said there in the Greek. And people need not take my word. You've got Greek scholars that affirm that. And, and just, be, just to really touch upon a few, A.T. Robertson, Blossom de Bruner, and you've got multiple other ones that tell you, Kekaritomeni, the Greek for Luke 128, is definitely perfectly translated as full of grace. And that is the translation that we should have. And in my opinion, it brings out the beauty the incredible beauty of our Holy Mother, even in a more perfect manner. Our uh, separated uh, brothers and sisters, Protestants and other evangelicals, uh, often argue that Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How do we answer that objection, that question about the Immaculate Conception? That's a fantastic question. The utilization of the Greek word pas, which means all, for St. Paul, is not always utilized to mean all. And we have that kind of a hint directly in the text, because St. Paul there is talking about actual personal sins. And lest we think that he's imputing sin upon our Lord, or upon newly born infants, or children in the womb, or, God forbid, an unfortunate thing, there are many people born with mental uh, incapacities that do not have the ability to commit actual sin. Remember, an actual sin must be done with full knowledge. And St. Paul is not literally saying every person in the world has committed actual sin. Rather, he's using a general kind of term. Generally, he means the whole world has fallen under this kind of sin and needs our Lord and Savior. But St. Paul is very clear. He doesn't mean every single individual. And we find when we look at the word used by Paul in Romans 3, he utilizes the very same word, and many other areas, and he doesn't mean a literal every single person in the world. And another thing that I would tell your audience, when we look at the interpretations of the early fathers in Romans 3 and in Luke 1, you don't find any fathers ever looking at Romans 3 and saying, look, Mary falls under that condemnation as well. You just don't have that in the early church. And remember, the early church fathers were the ones that were taught and trained by the apostles and by disciples of those. They would have known how to interpret the text better than we know. 
Uh, without a doubt. Uh, when you look at St. Justin Martyr, St. Irenaeus, Tertullian, all these guys, they all uh, believed uh, in uh, these Marian teachings and, and the dogma that then developed and was not officially proclaimed until the 19th century. Uh, one other thought, uh, William, uh, that comes to mind, uh, there's other evangelicals who argue that if Mary never sinned, she doesn't need a savior. So why does uh, Mary say in Luke 147, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. How, how do you answer that objection? There are two very important points that must be pointed out there, and that is such a fantastic area. Number one, the church has always taught that Mary does need a Savior. The church has taught that Mary was preemptively saved. She, was, she needed a Savior more than even we do, because she was prevented from ever being tainted by that original sin that the book of Psalm 51 says all of us are touched with, that the book of Wisdom 2 says we are all part of she needed a Savior more than any other. But here's the incredible thing. In Luke 1, where Mary says she rejoices in her Savior, the Greek word soter for Savior in the Old Testament is not utilized for internal moral defects. It's utilized rather for an external kind of saving. And we know that Holy Mary is hearkening to Hannah's hymn when she says that she rejoices in the Lord her Savior. Hannah talks about rejoicing in the Lord, her salvation, the same language. But why would Mary say she rejoices in the Lord, her Savior? Because just like Hannah in the Old Testament, who says she rejoices in the Lord, her salvation, it was because she's about to have a wonder child, a wonder birth. And Holy Mary is uttering those words because she's about to have a wondrous birth as well. William, the clock is always the enemy. Uh, just uh, one uh, final thought on uh, the Immaculate Conception, uh, making Mary a parallel of Eve. If Christ is the new Adam, then Mary is the new Eve. That is absolutely correct. Genesis 3 presents her as the new Eve before she's even created. Luke 1 affirms that, and Revelation 12, connected directly with Genesis 3, brings it to full picture as Holy Mary is presented as that new Eve and new Ark in the heavens in Revelation 12. I love uh, St. Irenaeus, uh, who, who says uh, Mary's uh, obedience uh, undoes Eve's disobedience. Mary's yes to God uh, must yes. be perfect as Eve's no uh, was not. That is absolutely correct. St. Irenaeus, famously known for the Marian writing that is called the untire of knots. Holy Mary untied that knot, that knot that was tied by Eve. She is the new Eve, but even more important, she is in full possession of that original justice. She's full of grace, as Luke 1 clearly presents to her, meaning she is all holy and all sinless. We've just uh, touched the surface. There's so much more that we could talk about, uh, but we're going to have to leave it right there. Um, where can our listeners find uh, out more uh, about your, um, your work at your website? Yes, they can go to www.patristicpillars.com, and they can find a ton of material that I've worked on there that I am working on, and they can also find links to books that I have written, and I'd love to see them pass on by there so they can learn even more about our beautiful Catholic faith. And I hope they, today, even more than anything else, pray, ask for the intercession of our Holy Mother Mary on her beautiful feast day. Thank you so much, William. Happy Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Thanks so much for being with us. 
Thank you for having me. Look forward to being back. Many blessings to you. Catholic apologist William Altbrecht, author of The Definitive Guide to Solving Biblical Questions About Mary, Mary Among the Evangelists. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Career coach Bruce Lockenauer is going to be with us to talk about the latest, what's going on with the job market, and uh, more ways uh, to landing a dream job. So stay with us. There's much more to come on Morning Air after this. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Five minutes after the hour, I could listen to that beautiful hymn dedicated to our Blessed Mother all morning. Welcome back to Morning Air on this solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, the day in which we are honoring our Blessed Mother, the patroness of the United States. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverens. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for tuning in this morning. Now let's take a, a little bit of time to reflect on our work lives. We're going to switch gears and talk about uh, our careers, uh, including uh, some Practical steps to landing your dream job. Career coach Bruce Lockenauer is going to be taking your calls, and we're going to be discussing the job market, managing your career, and networking strategies to land that dream job. Bruce has spent the last 25-plus years working with board of directors, CEOs, and top executives on their careers and talent needs. Good morning, Bruce. Welcome back to Morning Air. It's great to be with you once again. Happy Feast Day, the Mac. Conception. Morning, happy feast day. Happy to be with you again. Uh, Bruce, uh, what's going on? Uh, give us uh, the latest uh, in the world of work. You bet, John. There are two different statistics that came out, one from the Labor Department and one from the Census Department that I think are worth spending a couple minutes on. Uh, workers, first the Labor Department, they surveyed businesses and households, two separate surveys, and found that roughly a million people joined the workforce in the month of November. You recall, we've talked about the fact that a lot of people, it, it had been a low participation rate. A lot of people had kind of disappeared from the workforce, but they're, they're coming back, John. That's, that's good news. Uh, that's definitely good news. Um, how does that uh, tie into uh, the jobs report we got last Friday when we learned uh, the U.S. added 210,000 jobs in November, uh, which, according to the experts, was, was less than expected? Yeah, well, you'll recall there are more jobs out there than there are job seekers, than there are people, frankly, that, that uh, are eligible to fill those jobs. And although there are fewer jobs, unemployment still fell from 4.6% to 4.2%. So something's happening that uh, companies are filling those open jobs. There were fewer that were open, but there were a lot that were open already. And, and you know, it begs the question, what's happening? And I'm, I'm going to speculate. I think two things are happening, John. One, I think what companies are doing may 
be taking effect, maybe working. They've been offering sign-on bonuses. They've been offering tuition reimbursement. They've increased their salaries. John, in fact, at one point, McDonald's was paying people $50 just to show up for an interview. So I'm hoping that, that, that that's induced people to come in. And then I'm also wondering if you know, people saved a lot during the, the uh, quarantine as there wasn't much to do and there were unemployment benefits. And I'm wondering if some of those savings are starting to run low and people are starting to get back into the workforce. Having said that, the good news is people, more people are working, but there's still 3 million people out there, that are 3 million people, fewer workers than before the start of the pandemic. But the good news is that people are uh, are coming back in uh, the, the numbers are rising uh, since uh, March of last year in 2020, uh, when pretty much the pandemic uh, began. They are. They are. But um, and, you know, economists are saying that uh, the reason they haven't risen more is you've got some older folks that have decided to retire. They think that prime age workers are strugg- still struggling with some issues as unavailability of childcare, although in those statistics, a lot more women were, were coming back. But there's one thing they failed to mention, and that dovetails with what the Census Bureau reported uh, recently, and that is there's been, and I think it ties to what we've been talking about, the Great Reawakening, people being off of their normal routine, praying about their lives and saying, you know what, maybe there's a better way. And there's been a huge wave of entrepreneurship. A lot of people have uh, decided that they can find a better way to live, hopefully with their families and finding time for prayer and mass and, and what have you, and still fulfill themselves professionally, make the income that they need to need by going uh, and becoming an entrepreneur. How much of a factor uh, has it been to be able to work from home uh, for a lot of folks? I think it's huge. I think it's huge because, uh, and and interestingly, um, it's been a factor because it caused people, at first everyone was afraid and then they then they got over that and we, we got into a rhythm. And I think people, again, said, wait a minute, there is a different way. And, sin- and once you're open to considering something different, you, you know, it opens up the whole world of potential and possibility. So, you know, I mentioned this entrepreneurship, John, the, um, there were four and a half million new businesses started this year through October. That's up more than 50% from the same period last year. And it's the largest number on record going back to 2004. So my guess is when people were at home, they're doing their work, but they said, you know what? I've always wanted to X, Y, Z and may have dabbled with that. And then said, you know what? I think I can do this full time. And I think they're doing it. You know, as I said, four and a half million new businesses. So, uh, and you may know some of the, some of these people. People that that were providing a service may have gone out on their own to provide that service. They may have decided to produce and sell goods. Uh, they may uh, be be you know become a retailer of sorts, an online retailer. I mean, because you're home, you've got the access to everything in the world through the internet. Um, it opens a whole bunch of uh, uh, possibilities. You know, and it. Um, let me give you another example just that happened this week, uh, John. I um, Just in terms of rethinking what, what's important to you. And that's what, I think that's what the pandemic has provided us, this great reawakening to figure out what's important. Um, my wife and I uh, traveled uh, this weekend and we met a flight attendant who told us an interesting story. She is a part-time sales rep for a sporting goods company and during the quarantine was really disappointed because she couldn't meet her customers. 
she, she really fed off the energy of, of being people and meeting people and interacting with people, as I think we all do. We're social creatures. So what she did is she said, you know, I think I can fit in an extra job. And she applied to this airline, uh, went through their training program, got hired. And now she's a part-time flight attendant and a part-time sales rep for uh, this company. My point is, um, right now, we've got another, if you haven't done it already, we're in the middle of Advent. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a feast day. Pray to Our Lady, pray to St. Joseph. And discern what what does our Lord want from us in this coming year? We're preparing for our Lord to come in a few weeks. How can we prepare the next chapter of our professional and personal lives, because they're so intermingled, to really be the best that we can be, to to, to match our purpose, to match our goals, uh, professional and, and, and our family and personal goals? Yeah, I find it fascinating uh, that uh, with so much emphasis on uh, uh, inflation during this economy, that there hasn't been a whole lot of talk uh, about uh, entrepreneurs uh, really uh, expanding and growing uh, during this period. There hasn't. And again, that, that data is, it suggests um, if you haven't done it, you've been thinking about it, you're late. <laughs> others others have, have, uh, have, and I think we should maybe spend some time on that uh, John, maybe not today, but that might be an, a good topic, which is how people figure out how to launch their own businesses. Uh, Airbnb is a great example of, of these guys just trying, experimenting with something, saying, oh, my gosh, you know, they let out some rooms in their, in their house. They said, we think there might be a business here. So if you have a sense, if there's a way to, to try it and see if you like it and see if it works and then go and launch it. But we should we should spend some more time. on it. It's a, it's a fascinating topic. Well, we have a lot more to talk about. I want to talk a little bit about networking, but uh, Bruce, we first we need to take a, a short break. I want to invite our listeners because oftentimes they wait till the very last minute and we run out of time. Uh, we want to open up the phone lines. Uh, if you want to share with us your networking uh, stories or you have a question uh, for Bruce about finding a dream job, uh, you can give us a call at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We're going to take a short break as we continue our conversation with career coach Bruce Lockenauer. Stay with us. There's much more on the other side. Aurora Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Feast Day, Happy Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of Our Blessed Mother. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much uh, for joining us this morning as we continue our conversation with career coach Bruce Lockenauer. We're talking about uh, the job market and uh, we're talking about 12 steps to landing your dream job. If you want to be part of the conversation, please give us a call, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Uh, Bruce, welcome back. John, good to be here again. Uh, Bruce, uh, the last time that uh, we talked, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the importance of networking. Uh, we want to continue to emphasize that, that very important step. Yeah, it is. 
critical, John, because we talked about that 78% of jobs are never listed, never posted. And even those that are posted, most of those are filled through networking. So this is key. Once you've prayerfully discerned what you want to uh, target and you've uh, developed your marketing materials, your resume and your social media, then you've got to, then the best thing to do is not respond to job postings. We've been talking about that, but to get out and networking. There are three steps. The first is secret. When you're meeting with someone, you ask people for help in your search. You talk about what you're doing and ask them for their advice. Don't ask for a job. It's human nature. When you ask somebody for a job, their defenses go up and they think, oh, I'm going to risk my reputation, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but if you ask for someone for help, human nature is we want to help other people. And they'll become a mentor and a supporter and help you with ideas and, and introductions because people like to help. Bruce, I yeah, remember a, a yeah, longtime sales uh, pro who used to say the, the magic words were, I need your help. Perfect. Perfect. And then also provide them help. Find a creative way because networking is building relationships and relationships are two way. And, you know, I, I often remember just in the course of conversation, hearing something, I'll tell someone I'm a surfer and they go, oh, geez, I always wanted to learn how to search, surf. And I've got a great surf coach that, that I put them in touch with if they ever find their way to Southern California. We talk about fa you know, fasting comes up if it's, you know, Ash Wednesday or whatever uh, on the horizon. And I know a guy who wrote a book on fasting, which is really good, which helps in what I found to be very difficult, et cetera. There, there, are, there are different things. You, it doesn't have to be you know, work-related, but, but developing uh, a, a relationship requires this two-way thing. So what are the three steps? One, raise awareness with people you know. Think broadly, but you, you know, come up with your elevator pitch. We'll talk about that next time. You know, who you are and what you seek. And then let everybody you know, your family, your friends, uh, fellow parishioners, uh, you know, parents on the sports teams that your kids are on. And, uh, uh, and then professionally, all your work colleagues, gingerly if they're current, uh, but former work colleagues, customers, business partners. And again, let them know uh, who you are. You know, I think about this caller that we've had a couple of times. Uh, and she could say something like, I, I've got five years working for the state of Texas in planning and project management. And my goal is to become an event planner. You know, I'd love your help. Um, then Step two, networking 201, I call it, is ask them to whom they could introduce you. So one step of separation, I gave our dog sitter example. When our dog sitter couldn't come, we asked some dear friends, and they, they connected us with some other dear friends. Same principle. It's the halo effect. So, And this happens all the time. People will approach, want to, want to get in touch with me, and they do that by contacting someone who's been a candidate or a client of mine. And of course, I'm going to respond. Um, and, you know, an important link in this that I'd encourage people to take advantage of, and hopefully the priest won't get upset with me, but contact your pastor, because uh, he probably knows a lot more parishioners than you do. And there may be a couple people in your target market that would be great for you to meet. Worst case, you make friends. And that's what this is about, John, is making friends. And then the last step, I call this the graduate level of networking, is figuring out who do you want to know. So if you've got a job you're targeting, who are the bosses? You know, who would be hiring that for that job? And target them. Find someone who's connected with them. And LinkedIn is like a directory of who knows who. So go on to LinkedIn and look at those people and see who they know. And hopefully, if you get lucky, you'll find somebody in, in common. Uh, and ask for an introduction. Make it count. Uh, and, uh, and you're on your way. And then we'll talk about what, what comes next in, in the follow steps. Now, if, you, if there are no connections, you can create one, John. You can find out where that person 
if they attend conferences, if they're a speaker. I often attended conferences when I wanted to meet the speaker. Afterwards, introduced myself, followed up, immediately got together. And I got together face-to-face. I really think that's uh, the best way to do it. And if you have to approach cold, do it thoughtfully. Do your research. Make it compelling. You know, uh, Talk about your value proposition for them. So We can never down. underestimate the power of a referral. We have a couple of callers. Uh, Mara is joining us from New York. Mara, welcome to Morning Air. Uh, what is your question or comment uh, for Bruce Lockenauer? Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I've been trying to change careers. I've been, uh, I have a little experience working with immigrants and I want to change careers and I've been applying for the USCIS, which is the educational part of immigration. And I have an advanced certificate in immigration law, but I've been applying for jobs. And if I don't get the title, if I don't get the experience, how do I get to be exposed and nothing comes my way and I'm an experienced um, career person so I'm not starting I can't just start all over again I heard the networking I am in a professional association and most of my jobs I concur with you most of my jobs have been um, through the association, including the one that I have now, they they let me, they gave me, gave me leads and I just applied. But in this case, now it has been more difficult to move on. So um, is there anything for mature career people that want to do these kinds of jobs? You know, I check all the boxes. I'm, I'm multilingual. I'm committed. I have the education on on. on on immigration. I'm not an immigration lawyer, but I can help. And I've been assisting other people. And just now I learned that a friend of mine got papers and I'm so happy that finally, you know, it went through. So it's a joy for me to work and serve other people in this matter. Um, Let's uh, let Bruce uh, react because we're running out of time. Uh, Bruce, your thoughts? Yeah, Mara, that's great. I I think you are going to be a gem of a new hire for whoever uh, you network with. What does that mean? So instead of applying, what you want to do is you want to get introduced to someone, someone who knows you, who can vouch for you. If they introduce you to a, a potential hirer, that person is going to come in just eager to meet you and will be so excited to find someone who's got the depth of your experience where you've demonstrated your capabilities and your loyalty. And again, in this market where there is a lot of turnover, that experience and that longevity is actually, you can flip that to be a bonus. They hire you, you're going to produce, and you're, not, and you're going to stay. So the key, though, on networking is, is to get someone to introduce you to that person. So find out who are the people that are hiring for those jobs and who do you know that ho- knows them. You can do it, Mara. Thanks so much. Oh, and uh, pray to their guardian angel. I didn't say this. We talked about praying to St. Joseph. Pray to the guardian angel, the person you want to meet or that you're going to meet or as you go into the meeting with them. Um, they can help. And they're there. So, sorry, Abs- absolutely. Thank, thanks so much, Amara. And on this day, uh, we also uh, don't forget to invoke our Blessed Mother, the Immaculate Conception. Um, uh, we're sorry. We're just out of time. Uh, as, as Sam and George, who are, who are on hold, I'm sorry, we're not going to be able to get to you. But uh, Bruce, uh, as always, thanks so much for your uh, practical uh, advice on landing a career job. 
My pleasure, John. Time flies way too fast. Absolutely. Happy uh, feast day. Happy feast day to you. Bruce Lockenauer, career coach and executive search expert. Now it's time for another edition of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Merry Christmas, My Marine. It's from James M. Schmidt, USMC. "'Twas the night before Christmas, he lived all alone in a one-bedroom house made of plaster and stone. I had come down the chimney with presents to give, and to see just who in this home did live. As I looked all about a strange sight, I did see, no tinsel, no presents, not even a tree, no stocking by the fire, just boots filled with sand. On the wall hung pictures of a far distant land, with medals and badges, awards of all kind, a sobering thought soon came to my mind. For this house was different, unlike any I'd seen. This was the home of a U.S. Marine. I'd heard stories about them. I had to see more. So I walked down the hall and pushed open the door. And there he lay sleeping, silent, alone, curled up on the floor in his one-bedroom home. He seemed so gentle, his face so serene. Not how I pictured a U.S. Marine. Was this the hero of whom I'd just read? Curled up in his poncho, a floor for his bed? His head was clean-shaven, his weathered face tan. I soon understood this was more than a man, for I realized the families I saw that night owed their lives to these men who were willing to fight. Soon around the nation, children would play, and grown-ups would celebrate on a bright Christmas day. They all enjoyed freedom each month and all year because of Marines like this one, playing here. I couldn't help wonder how many lay alone on a cold Christmas Eve in a land far from home. Just the very thought brought a tear to my eye. I dropped to my knees and I started to cry. He must have awoken, for I heard a rough voice. Santa, don't cry. This life is my choice. I fight for freedom. I don't ask for more. My life is my God, my country, my core. With that, he rolled over, drifted off into sleep. I couldn't control it. I continued to weep. I watched him for hours, so silent and still. I noticed he shivered from the cold night's chill. So I took off my jacket, the one made of red, and covered this marine from his toes to his head. Then I put on his t-shirt of scarlet and gold, with an eagle, globe, and anchor emblazoned so bold. And although it barely fit me, I began to swell with pride, and for one shining moment I was Marine Corps deep inside. I didn't want to leave him so quiet in the night, this guardian of honor so willing to fight. But half asleep he rolled over, and in a voice clean and pure, said, Carry on, Santa, it's Christmas Day, all secure. One look at my watch, and I knew he was right. Merry Christmas, my friend. Semper Fi, and good night. From Romans 5, 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might dare to die. Thanks so much, uh, Glenn. A quick reminder, today is a holy day of obligation, so please make it to Mass. Let's honor Our Lady on this Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Let's pray the Rosary with Father Rocky tonight, the Family Rosary Across America at 7 p.m. That'll do it for this edition of Morning Air. For the entire team, I'm John Morales. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow.